So for a keyword, is this the exact search volume? No one knows that. Is this a close representation? Yes. Can you make a decision about it? Yes. If you see something that doesn't make sense, so just ask us because maybe you're right. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today we are hosting a very special uh, we have a very special guest, Mori Oberstein. Mori is the head of communications and head of organic research at SEM Rush. He also serves on Wix's SEO advisor, adv- advisory board. And um, when not serving in his official roles, Mori hosts the SEO Run podcast. You should check it out. And is a weekly, weekly com- contributor to the Edge of the Web News podcast. In case that wasn't enough, um, Mori is also the organizer behind Twitter's SEO chat. Mori, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, this is a podcast reciprocation. Let's see who gets the episode out first. Do I get the SEO rant with you on out first? Or does this come out first with me on it? You're I probably going to win. I'm backed up. I think that yours is going to be first. Uh, but, okay. But we'll see. We'll it's see. a race. Yeah. Um, so uh, before we dive into the questions, and I have many interesting things that I'd like to discuss with you, could you please share a few things about yourself, how did you end up uh, doing what you do today, um, just so that people get to, get to know you a bit better? It's one of those weird stories, and everybody in SEO, it's not like, yeah, I went to school and took an SEO course, and uh, I was working for, so a long, long time ago, I was a property manager in New York City, we're talking, we're talking 20 years, no, can't be 20 years ago, maybe like 15 years ago, something like that. Um, wow, I'm getting old. And I became a teacher after that. That's a whole long story. And then I was working for an educational software company doing um, content writing for them on the educational side, which made sense because I was a teacher and I'm a really good writer. At least I think I am. So they hired me. Um, if I wasn't, that's their bad. So they, they, I was one of the only native English speakers at the company. And there's, hey, could you write web content for us? I know you're not writing educational content for the web. But just, you know, landing pages, all that social media. I'm like, sure. What are you trying to accomplish? We're trying to rank. Okay, great. What's that? (laughs) And and I started to have to figure this out because my job sort of depended on it. And that's one thing led to another. But that's how I got started in SEO on the content side, trying to rank educational content, particularly product uh, educational content. But I think that getting your website to rank back then, must have been completely different than nowadays, yeah? Like, it, well, it was, this is before the age of SERP features. So this was after, it was after the whole era of keyword stuffing and, you know, PBNs. So there was any of it. Yeah, I had to actually write content. 
Um, but it was, it was before the era of, I'll call the era of SERP features. So I wasn't worried about featured snippets or direct answers and all that kind of stuff. It, didn't, it was very minimal, if anything, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I guess it makes sense. Um, I would like to dive right into the questions that I have for you. Uh, and I have many, many interesting things to, to cover and discuss. And uh, I will get right into the first question that I, I had, because obviously you're head of communications at SEM Rush. Now, one thing that we hear very often uh, and that concerns many of our clients, it's, it's a topic of discussion very often, is whether they can trust the metrics that they see in different SEO software. Okay. Now, some of the metrics in these tools, uh, for example, the number of backlinks, um, are not up to discussion, okay? The truth is somewhere there. It's, it's pretty much there, okay? But when it comes to other metrics, especially when they are proprietary metrics such as the domain authority, okay? Or when they are estimates or calculated in a different way by each tool, like um, the search volume, there is a lot of discussion there and people are concerned as to, you know, can I trust this metric? Is this really going to help me um, make a well-informed decision as to whether I should cover this, uh, this topic. And I would like to hear your thoughts on that and where do you stand when it comes to uh, those metrics? It's a really, really good question. I think you, you, the, the point that you made is, can I trust this metrics to make a decision? And the answer is yes, right? Um, you know, if you're asking, can I trust that this metric, whatever it is, whether it's, let's take estimated traffic, right? You don't have access to um, your competition's Google Analytics, you're looking at SEMrush to get an idea of what the competition is doing organically in terms of their traffic and so forth, right? And there are things that are more clear-cut and less clear-cut, and you need to understand that. Rankings, way more clear-cut, right? We check the SERP. They're ranking X for X keyword. There it is. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty black and white. Things like estimated traffic or search volumes. So what you're basically asking is, can I trust this to make to make a, an educated decision? The answer is pretty much yes. What you have to understand is that no. Is, it, is, is this the exact traffic that your competition is getting? No. It's not Google Analytics. It's a complex layer of multiple algorithms from multiple data sources trying to put together the best, ac most accurate picture of the trend within a close range of amounts to what your competition is, is doing. That's and this is true with all data, by the way. Google Analytics, by the way, not 100% accurate. I think people don't understand this. So when I'm, I used to work at Wix, I'm still on their advisory board, so Wix has Wix Analytics. Wix's traffic analytics, the data is different then Google Analytics. You know, so, well, Google Analytics is more authoritative, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Wix is the actual hosting the website. Maybe there's more accurate. The difference, by the way, is how they discount bot traffic. They have different algorithms to discount bot traffic. So I think it's very important as a, as a point, it, it peeves me in general about how SEOs think about data. I've had many conversations with Glenn Gabe about this. SEOs tend to look at data as, okay, this is the gospel. No data is the gospel, right? Let's take Search Console for a second, right? My, mobile impressions. So John Mueller was just talking about this the other day. You know, it, with infinite scroll, we load in tens. When you load the next ten, you know, very almost, you know, seamlessly, that counts as an impression. Great. 
uh, these are my impressions. Yeah, but how fast were they scrolling through them? I sometimes I flick my phone and run through 10 results. Like, yeah, I didn't even see them. That's, That's an story. impression though, right? Yep. So no, every, every piece of data needs to be qualified. However, if we're talking back full circle, let's say estimated traffic or search volume, then these are things we're always trying to improve on. Because no, it's not perfect. But as a, as a, can you trust it? Yes, because we, it's a complex layer of, of data that reflects an accurate trend within an accurate range. So for a keyword, is this the exact search volume? No one knows that. Is this a close representation? Yes. Can you make a decision about it? Yes. If you see something that doesn't make sense, so just ask us because maybe you're right. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's, you know, it's, it's less complicated than you think it is. Yeah, and I think that the point that you made there, especially about Google Analytics, because obviously as, as SEOs, let's say, uh, as people uh, who are working in the search industry, Google Search Console, you could argue, is the, the ultimate source of truth. But very often uh, we hear about bugs, for example, and it's pretty obvious. Um, it, it's a software. It will have bugs. Or we see very often discrepancies not only between you know, what you see in Google Search Console uh, and uh, an SEO software, but also what you see in Google's own products like Google Search Console and Google Analytics, okay, which this is even more for frustrating for, for our clients. But you know, the, the reason why this question and the answer for, to this question is very important to me is because very often our clients get to, uh, especially when we do keyword research, for example, and we have various metrics, and they are like, okay, but can I, can I trust, for example, keyword difficulty in order to say that this is going to be an easy metric for me uh, to rank for? And obviously the answer is you can trust it, but up to a certain degree. Like uh, it cannot tell you, for example, keyword difficulty, keyword difficulty, unless I'm mistaken, cannot tell you whether or not you are associated with that specific topic in the eyes of Google so that you can consider it a trustworthy resource and get you know, visibility faster. Uh, but in any case, I think that, um, as, as you correctly pointed out, you can trust it, but obviously uh, it's not the ultimate uh, source of truth. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole thing. Look, like, things like authority scores, right? So someone has an authority score. It's, it's, it's based on a conglomerate of backlink data and try, all this great stuff to put it right. It's trying to give you a way to qualify something. So anytime you're asking something, quanti you're trying to qualify something using... It's not a person, Temperature is not a person, it's, it's, a, it's a tool. When you're trying to qualify something, always consider the fact that you're trying to take something that a human can do in three seconds, and you're trying to replicate that at scale with tons of data. So no, no, it's, it's the same thing with Google's AI, right? They're trying to assess quality. You're trying to use quantifiable metrics to assess quality. That's always going, that's an inherent schism between what humans can do and what machines can do. So you have to understand that, you have to understand the context of that data and say, okay, great, I understand authority score, what it is, what they're trying to do, and now I need to understand how to use it. It's a good signal. It's a good sign. Is it a be-all, end-all, like, here's my authority score. Here, you get a, you get a star. That's not how this works. And if you're using the data that way, you just don't understand how data works and that you should you know, take a step back, understand what it is, 
and realize you need to use the, the data the right way. So the right metric being used the right way, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that it also makes sense because since Google isn't giving us an authority score, which, which I'm pretty sure that they have, uh, we have to get it from you know, somewhere. You're, it's trying to give you a really quick assessment of just what's happening, right? How authoritative are you based upon your backlink profile, the number of referring domain, all of that good stuff. It's not, it's not a, first off, it's not a ranking factor. Google does not use these scores. And people have talked, no. Okay, so I needed to understand that. That's off the bat. But you're just trying to understand something. I think it's the data. It's really important to remember. You're just trying to understand something. And you're not trying to pinpoint it. You're not trying to say, okay, this is exactly what it is. Nothing Nothing in life is that way. And I think it's, in, if I'm, I'm not a math person, or I wasn't a math person in school. I'm more of a math person now, actually. I think it mathematically is impossible to exactly measure anything. Like you take a ruler and you try to measure a piece of paper, impossible to exactly measure it. Yeah, yeah, I, I get your point. So I think that uh, what we need to keep here is the fact that all these tools and the metrics of the tools are here to help us at the end of the day. And they are not 100%, um, you know, not accurate because what's, what's accuracy uh, really when it comes to uh, data? Um, in any case, I'd like to, to uh, share something else with you and I'd like to hear your thoughts with regards to that. Recently, uh, we applied an optimization just to the above-the-fold experience of two of our clients' websites. We didn't do anything else up to that point that could cause an improvement or a decline in performance. Okay? And immediately, right off the bat, we have seen an increase just by improving the above-the-fold experience in both organic impressions and organic clicks. Okay? And I would like to ask your thoughts as to how important do you think user engagement signals are and how Google evaluates um, what, you know, whether or not a user gets what they uh, need and had in mind uh, when they land on a, on a specific uh, page. That's such a landmine topic, right? Because Google says they don't use that kind of stuff. SEO say, no, you do. Sometimes they say, no, they don't. Personally, it's okay. So first off, you should definitely look at those things because they're important for just your yourself and your users and making sales and growing your bottom line and all that good stuff. Like forget Google for a second. Also, Bing uses them. So definitely important to consider that sort of thing. Google does use it in terms of, let's say, a rank brain or machine learning as a, as a, uh, you know, a, a top level meta analysis. So it'll look at what's happening with, let's say, let's say recipe content. Google will look at all the clicks and all the, you know, all the user behavior for recipe content. And in rank brain or machine, or this would be a rank brain kind of thing, would decide, hey, you know what? Content, recipe content has images on it gets more clicks, has longer retention than recipe content that has no image on it. So we're going to up the value of the signal of having an image on the page for recipe content. This is actually true, by the way. I think this has happened in kind of like you know, 2017, something like that, where all of a sudden every single recipe had to have an image on it, now videos also. Um, so yeah, it's an indirect signal. It's not, it's not looking at your page saying, oh, your page, we're looking at the bounce rate, we're looking at it, we're looking at it. It's a meta-analysis of all those pages. So it does impact everything overall. That's 100% for sure. 
that's a very, very indirect, you know, top level, what does it got to do with me kind of thing. I don't, okay, so there are difficulties with using user metrics, right? You know, how is Google, first off, I leave a tab open forever. So, like, all right. So, does that count? <laughs> I never close my tabs. Um, but you might, find the, you might find that information really quickly and just jump right back. You pogo stick. Oh, that's bad. No, you found what you needed. Right? Or when Google like feature snippets, they you know, scroll to text. All right, I found it exactly. I'm out. So now what? So it is really tricky. I, I, I'll take them at their word that they don't use it, but I, won't, I, I, I can't say to an SEO who says, no, they are. I, I see it. I respect your opinion as well. For me, it was eye-opening because really we're trying so hard with like entities and optimization uh, on the page, headings, URL slags, and all these, all these things that obviously matter. Okay, no one says that they don't matter, but we just applied uh, uh, an optimization on how the, the, the page layout is structured, how the page is, you know, um, uh, how the page is structured ultimately, and boom, you know, and, and it happened. And I was like, okay, this seems that Google takes this thing seriously. Because we haven't done anything else. So above the fold content, for sure. And then there's so many different variations of how, first off, you need to understand Google's looking at the initial viewport, right? So keep that in mind. So your above the fold content is, you know, very, very important. It's also important in terms of that's where the most significant content is going to be found, right? Generally speaking, unless you're storytelling, so this is difficult for a blog post. I always didn't like this about Google favoring above the fold content because Good storytelling in a blog post will have the least important content first and the more important content later. But that's, a, that's a very much Morty as a content writer pet peeve. But in gen generally speaking, that more important content is going to be up there first. That just makes sense. Or you have, for example, some affiliate pages. I love this about it. I, I think John Mueller talked about this. So you look at, I don't know, the keywords, you know, best travel credit card for students. You go to the page, and before you get to any of the really good content, a lot of these pages have really good content, it's just a heap of affiliate crap. So yeah, if you switch that out and you actually put user content, user you know, important content first, and put your affiliate crap later, I'm just crapping on affiliates a lot right now, I'm sorry. So yeah, you're going to rank higher, all things being equal, because you're, you're serving better content to the, to the user. And John Mueller talked about that. So above the fold content, forget leaving user engagement metrics aside for a second. The above the fold content is a really important part. What you do there is really important part of your page. Yeah, obviously, I, it sounds so obvious when you say it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Uh, you mentioned earlier bounce rate, and I would like to uh, touch on that a bit because very often one of the things that, uh, and we usually get these emails uh, from the founder of the company who uh, jumped into. Uh, Google Analytics at some point and just saw the bounce rate of the whole website, not on a page level, because a high bounce rate on a page that gives the answer to the question right away makes sense. Yep. Uh, but on a side level, you know, our bounce rate is high, guys. We need to do something about it. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because bounce rate, I'm not saying it's not important, but it can't be the only metric. No, it can't be. And that's what, like, you know, you look at these metrics, like, oh, no, the bounce rate. You need to, okay, that's it. Data, again, it goes back to our point about data. Data is a flag. Data can tell you, okay, there's a question here that needs to be answered. Now you need to answer it, right? For, for example, 
yeah, our bounce rate's, you know, 80%. We have one landing page and 90,000 blog pages. Obviously, your bounce rate's going to be high. Everything if you do is your blog post. They read the blog and they bounce. So like blog content's going to have a higher bounce rate. Or if you have, let's say, I don't know, let's make the case, I'm a site owner, right? Or I'm whatever it is. I have two sites. One's an e-commerce site, one's a blog. The e-commerce site's going to have a lower, or should have a lower bounce rate. But there, there's a million, I mean, there's a million different factors that go into it. Okay, why is the bounce rate high? Does it actually matter? Where are they bouncing? When are they bouncing? Are they coming back? There's so many. Look, you can have a case where, I see this with like, um, insurance companies, the insurance pages, right? So you, um, you Google, you know, best car insurance. You go to Geico. You bounce back to Google. A lot of their traffic bounces back to Google. You go to check out Allstate or whatever it is. You look at Allstate. You look at what you had from Geico. You head back to Geico because that was better. So you have to understand the full user journey, the full user path, and the full set of data because there's a lot of reasons why the bounce rate might be high, but it's really not a problem. It's just natural user behavior. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I would like to sift gears a bit and uh, discuss something that I know you, you've been working on uh, for the last six months. Uh, you did a, a study on uh, Google Discover, and I would like you to share with us, first of all, what's Google Discover for people who don't know, and then what have you discovered with regards to Google Discover? So Google Discover is a feed. It's either in the Google app or on the mobile homepage where they, you know, Google curates the content for you. They just show it automatically based upon your personalized interests. So I watch a lot of baseball. I get a lot of baseball stuff in my, in my Discover feed. So I think Discover feed is fascinating because you can't really track it. Because again, it's very personalized. Also, I think it's fascinating because there's the, you know, the usual ranking discussions don't happen. So the usual nonsense you hear from SEOs about, yeah, you know, I optimize my this and my that. That's why I'm ranking doesn't exist because you don't understand what's happening. There is no one particular ranking factor for this particular page. It's really based on the corpus of your site, the corpus of your content, the authority of your site relative to the topic, how much identity you have around a topic. So if you're really strong identity around the New York Yankees, you'll show up in the Discover feed even though you're not ESPN, which, which happens, right? I got a lot of you know, more niche. There are still big websites, but you know, a little bit more niche content from certain sites around certain topics because there are authorities on that particular subtopic or you know, niche topic. So because there's no way to actually track Google Discover, the only way to do it is manually. This is so stupid. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I went all in. I had to keep doing it. I said, I want to, I, I did a study a while ago, maybe a year ago on on um, what was, oh, what influences the behavior? Like if I change my user behavior, will that change my results? So if I search for something on desktop and I don't click, or if I search for something on desktop and I do click, will that change the types of content? So I looked at content that I never looked at ever, like sewing or mowing lawns. I don't mow my lawn, I don't have a lawn. Um, <laughs> to see like when that content would show up. Then I decided more recently to look at, okay, what kind of content is in there? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from you know, big news sites or big industry uh, players like, for, like SEO? Is the content coming from, I don't know, like the, the Guardian or CNN? Obviously, not, they don't have SEO content. Or is it coming from my blog, your blog about SEO? Or is it coming from Search Engine Journal, Search Engine Land, and SEO Roundtable? It's coming from SEO Roundtable, Search Engine Journal, Search, <laughs> Search Engine Land. Sorry, folks. Um, 
And I sort of broke it down by that. And then I broke it down by what type of content topically speaking. Um, so for example, um, was it news content showing up versus evergreen content? Or was it topically current content? So it's not news content. So it's not like, you know, you know being released today, Avengers 26. But it's a, a, an analysis of Thor and his character development from Screen Rant. Meaning it's only there because it's, current, it's a current kind of topic. In a year from now, no, no content about Thor and his whatever will show up in my feed because Thor will be irrelevant. Yep. That kind of thing. And basically, again, this is solely based on my feed because your feed will be very different. There's a lot of YouTube content in my feed because Google is showing me a lot of YouTube content around baseball because I consume a lot of content around baseball on YouTube, which you can take general takeaways from that. If you're, ta if you're, in a, if you're a user or you're a user profile that there's a lot of YouTube content out there and you're consuming it on YouTube, Google will double down on that. Okay. Um, there are, or for example, there's very little evergreen content comparatively. And this, I think, is a trend across the board. I don't think it's particular to me because there's nothing particular about my user profile that would say more or less evergreen content. So a lot of current topics, like that, that Thor example that I gave, a lot of news content, and only 15% of it was, was um, evergreen content. And I would do this. I would actually count the results and categorize them each day for, for six months. And that's how I did this. So there's some give and take. Like how do you count this content versus that content? So the numbers are probably not, again, the numbers are not completely accurate because data is never completely accurate. I had to make some judgment calls, but in a nutshell, that's what it was. It's pretty nuts. And I would like to, uh, thanks, thanks for sharing that. I would like to, to ask in the same vein, with regards to studies, because I know that you run many, many different studies. Um, is this also something that people can trust? Uh, obviously, uh, you know, they cannot trust it 100%, but also I think that there is another reason here. Something that's, you, you have conducted a study for six months, okay? Who knows how Google Discover will work in one year from today, okay? Uh, that you have just uh, wrapped things up with regards to your study. So what do you think about, about that and whether or not studies are timely relevant? And yeah. That's a good, such a good question. So yeah, um, studies, well, okay, I'll quote Barry Adams on this. He had a tweet one time and said, you know, some data is better than no data. Like no data is going to be, but at least you have something. So, yeah, I mean, look, like take the studies and, you know, look at them and, you know, do what you will with them. I do have an issue in general with SEO studies not pointing out limitations. So, for example, in the Google Discover study that I was talking about, one of the major limitations was I did it on Android. And I found this out in the middle of the study, I, I got an iPhone. And I'm like, okay, let me, I'll just continue what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, crap, this looks totally different than iOS. So I had to keep my old phone, you know, charged up and have every day go to my old phone on Android and look at the uh, Discover feed because it's very different. The format's different. The amount of results was different. Everything was different about it. The types of cards that Google shows, like the, the Google cards that they show without any URL were very different on iOS. If I didn't write that in my post, or if you didn't actually spend that, and this is on people also, it's on you people because... People do put the limitations in a lot of the times, and you don't bother reading them. In fact, in every study I do, well, lately, I used to not do this, but now I do this. I'll write, like, here's, you know, the limitations or the, how I did this. You could skip the next H2. I don't recommend it. And I'm sure everybody's skipping the next H2, but you really missed out because if you're on iOS, 
or if all of your audience for some ridiculous reason is on iOS, you're writing about Apple all the time, what I wrote doesn't really apply to you, does it? You have no idea. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the study, I will say this. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I'm going to regret saying this. The studies that just, you know, here's the data, and they don't go into qualifying it or they're not very nuanced in how they report it, I tend to trust those less than the ones where, you know, here's why you might not want to trust this data. Those are the ones I really trust. Again, you have to understand the audience. Sometimes there are people who are writing studies for a beginner audience, so they're not going to be very nuanced about it, and they're not going to be very, you know, here's all the, you know, the, the, limita- the, the, the audience is not going to understand that. So again, understand who this study was written for and why they're writing it. That's another thing. Understand who the study is written for and why they're writing it, because everybody's got an agenda, right? That's, that's very interesting because... You know, a study usually takes a lot of time and uh, it's not like writing a piece of code that's optimized for a search audience or whatever. It's, it takes time, it requires an investment and, and things like that. But it's, it's really important, as you mentioned, like to think also about what's the audience for that study and maybe um, getting deeper into the details of the data and how we took it and what are the limitations and you should be aware of these limitations. May maybe they shouldn't, you know, share that because they know that the audience for that study is, you know, a beginner. Uh, so yeah. I, think, I think that it makes sense. Look, there are studies where, you know, they're, they're not the best studies. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to name names, but there's, you know, some people put out studies. I'm like, all right, like, you know, what kind of keywords did you really use here? Were you careful to check for this? Were you careful to check for that? And blah, blah, blah. But still, like, leaving that aside for a minute, this goes back to the, you know, my quote from Barry Adams, you know, good, some data is better than no data. There's still something you can take away from it. So, yeah, it might have all sorts of limitations and blah, blah, blah is why it's bad. But, you know, there's still something you can take away from it. I mean, look, it's not easy to put these out. Also, keep that in mind. It's very anxiety-ridden for me. Like, did I get this right? Where am I missing something? Did I, did I you know, was I careful enough? Was I not careful enough? Did I do this right? Could I have done this differently? Should I measure that differently? It's, it, it's not easy. So keep that in mind when you're reading the study before you trash them. But some of them are trash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think no one is going to trust it. But uh, in any case, you mentioned earlier the word identity of the website. And we had a discussion a few weeks ago and we discussed about topical authority and identity of the websites. And I would like to hear your thoughts as to whether Google expects to see a certain type of con and, at the, and, and as an extension, you know, a, a certain structure in terms of the website and how users are led from one uh, step to another uh, based on the website's identity, okay? And yeah. I, would, I would like to hear your thoughts on, on identity of, of websites here. So this is a really good question because we don't have a lot of hardcore information from Google about this kind of thing, right? And I generally try to think of this from an overall marketing conversion brand perspective. And SEO is a part of that. Right? You, you might rank for a whole bunch of stuff, but does that really speak to what your brand is about? That's not really good for you overall. I think it's a very simple point that people in general can understand. But when you start getting into the details of that, like, you know, for example, if you're selling trucking parts and you also have, you're ranking for best ice cream cones, yeah, great, you're getting a lot of traffic, but that makes absolutely no sense. I think we can understand that. 
what I think that people don't necessarily realize when you go into the finer details of that, and I think it's going to get more and more and more and more important, things like mum come out, for example. Um, you know, you can, you can have topical authority. And I think we talked about this on, on, the, on the rant. There's topical authority. And you can talk about content clusters and, you know, hub and spoke models and blah, blah, blah. And that's all really good. But there's another level of that, which is, yeah, you have all the questions around that topic. But are you building up identity by doing that? So let's say I like a you know, really silly case. Let's say you sell bicycles, right? Let's take a real world case. You can go to a, there's all sorts of bicycle shops. There's a bicycle shop for everybody. The average person goes to that shop. Then there's bicycle shops for, you know, mountain bikers. That's where they go to buy their bicycles. Then there's bicycle shops for, you know, us, you know, I don't know, cross country biking. Is that, is that a thing? I don't really know. You know, like, like, you know, Tour de France kind of thing. Those are different kind of bikes, right? They have like thinner tires. I have no idea. Um, so you go to that kind of shop to get that kind of bike. Each has its own identity, right? Same thing with the site. The site could be a very generalist site, like WebMD. That's a very general sort of encyclopedic content for health. That's not where you're going to go if you will want to get very specific around a very specific topic, right? There are sites that do that better. And I think it's really important to understand what kind of site you are. So don't just think about, yeah, all of these questions are relevant, right? If you're a website that deals with, you know, very specific content around medical information and there's all sorts of everything, you know, you're a health site, any question around that topic, let's say it's heart health, it's relevant to you, but do you want your site to be an encyclopedic site? No, you don't want it from a conversion point of view. You want it from a brand identity point of view. And I don't think you want that from a Google point of view either. I think you want Google to understand that you are a very niche player that does X, Y, and Z with health content. Not that you couldn't rank or bring in traffic with the other content. Maybe you could. But it's like, you know, the sort of like the unseen consequence. But sure, you can rank for that content, bring, uh, bring in traffic for that content. But at what cost? Are you sacrificing ranking better for the really strong content that you want to rank for? Because Google understands that, hey, this is who you are. And this is what you do. In terms of site structures, all things you can do to create that. I think John Mueller recently talked about, you know, different, different parts of the site for different parts of content. You know, I, I, I think if you're, you know, if you have a blog, subfolder for blog, you don't want to put your landing pages there for, for your products. Like, does not make, I think it's, it's just confusing. I think that structure does help Google understand where they can expect to, find different content or that you have different content, having different content on the site is obviously not a problem, right? If you're an e-commerce site and you have your products and you have a blog, you have a resource center, you have all these different aspects to your site, that's fine. But organizing them is A, great for users, great for internal linking opportunities, and great for helping Google understand what's what and where. Okay, okay, that makes sense. That's really insightful. Now, um, I would like to start wrapping things up and uh, I would like to... Um, uh, ask uh, a couple of things about SEMRAS. Uh, in May of this year, you launched the App Center, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And I would like uh, to know, uh, for people who, who don't know uh, what the App Center is and how um, it can help you uh, get the most out of uh, SEMRAS. So if you could share a couple of things about that, that would be uh, really great. Yeah, so I mean, semi, okay, there's, 
I'm not an expert on the App Center. We're gonna leave that, leave it at that. Um, there, there's a if you go to semrush.com/apps. So there's a whole slew of like various apps that you can use to improve your market. And I think people, you know, there's there's apps that we've created, right? There's a Semrush Local app, an Impact Hero app. That's for um, looking at your whole content. That's really cool, one, by the way. Like, that really tries to analyze your 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 funnel. That's one of them that I do I do really enjoy. Um, there's the interesting growth crit. There's the trends app, which is really cool. It's you know go and explore what's there. I don't think there's. I'll say this in general about Semrush. There's a lot in there that people don't know about because it's such a huge tool. That's the thing with Semrush. Yeah, like yeah, sometimes it, sometimes I think about it, like, did they do they have this as well? Like I did I didn't know about that. Uh, but it's it's a huge tool as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, like the, the, um, the Impact Hero one, I didn't, when, you know, I, I came on board of SEMrush. I used SEMrush before I started at SEMrush, obviously. I didn't know this existed. And they were showing me the, the app. I'm like, this is amazing. Right? You're really getting a breakdown of what's happening with the funnel. Great. Didn't know it was there. You know, there's, I'll, I'll give you like my favorite tool in SEMrush is the, um, the, top, the uh, topic research tool. So it breaks down breaks down topics to you, it breaks down things topically. You know, so if you're searching for I'll use baseball, I'll use baseball, right? Baseball, what what are the subtopics that comprise baseball? And within each subtopic, what are the sub subtopics or the you know the questions that make up that subtopic? It's really great for, you know, I'll call it keyword research, but really keyword research is now topical research. It's it's not in the SEO section. I think they should move it. It's in the content marketing section. So I'm SEO. I don't look at content marketing, blah, blah, blah. Okay, which doesn't make any sense because there's such an overlap. What are you talking about? But okay. But is it, is it based, uh, sorry, but is it based in, on, on making semantic associations between the topics? Can, can, can it you know, identify that this is indeed relevant to that? Yes, right? Okay. So it's looking, it's looking at what are, what are, what's related to the topic right? or what's comprised of the topic, what's hot, meaning what's trending around this topic related to the topic and it's looking at the questions around the topic. So it's looking at it's scraping, you know, data to pull in, like what are the questions that, that, that comprise the topic? And then what you can do with that is thematically analyze it. Right. So you can, okay. So again, this goes back to my identity point. So you can look at things and say, okay, these are the particular questions I need to ask. You can also ask what type of, okay, I'm looking at these questions. Let's take a step back. What type of question is this? Meaning, what's the, what are users bothered by? What type of question are they answering? What kind of content, you know, not the particular question per se, but categorically, what type of content or problem should I be addressing on my website? I'm also with the tool, something really, really cool. I'm going to plug it because I love this. You can, you have a mind map, it's called. So you can take a look, let's say you take out the Yankees, you take a look at the, you know, the New York Yankees. It'll break down subtopically all the subtopics that comprise the New York Yankees. So you'll have, you know, front office management, you have other teams, you'll have rival, all these things that break up the entity or the topic in this case. You can throw in a website, so you can throw in ESPN.com. It'll light up in green the subtopics where that ESPN covers. And you can see, oh, ESPN is covering this. I have a, if they're my main competitor, I have a topical gap for these other topic or subtopics. Okay, that's cool. See, I that's really cool. I don't know why people don't. Come on, use the topic research tool. I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that. Uh, that's really, really cool. And then go check out the apps and particularly <laughs> check out the, uh, the Impact Hero app. 
Okay, great, will do. Now, um, do you have any exciting uh, coming up uh, in the future for SMRAS in terms of studies, in terms of new tools, anything that you could share with oh, us? Stu studies, are, okay, I don't, I'm not going to spoil it. There is a massive study that I'm working on. Not just me, it's an entire team of people working on it. So that's very exciting. Look out for that. 2022. Okay, okay. okay. We'll be, January, we'll February 2022, I would say. Um, there. Are, I'm not going to spoil it. I don't know when this podcast is coming out. There is a really freaking cool update coming to uh, to um to the keyword data, to the keyword research, not the data per se, but the keyword research tools. Okay. So look out for that. Okay, we'll do. We'll do. It's intense. I just give you a little hint there, but <laughs> it, it could okay. already be out by the time this podcast drops. It's like coming out really soon. Okay, okay, that's great. Modi, uh, where can people find more about you, SMRAS? Uh, what's the, the CTA for our listeners? I, I am on Twitter, so at Morty Oberstein. You can check out my website. Um, I have two, just the one, the SEORant.com is really where I live. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I do, I do LinkedIn. I'm on, I don't really do Facebook so much. Don't find me on Facebook. I hate Facebook. But on LinkedIn and Twitter are the best places. Okay, that's great. And obviously, people who are interested in SMRAS can visit smras.com, yeah? Of course. And TikTok. I'm on TikTok. Okay, that's it. I am not on TikTok. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I would be very surprised. Like, knowing you, I would be very surprised to know that you're... I'm not you're dancing. Are yeah. kidding me? Because, like, I, I would wonder, like, what kind of co content does Morty publishing on, on Oh, TikTok? yeah. Me, like, me, me, it's either me falling down a set of stairs or uh, dancing. No? What else is on TikTok? Okay, okay. I'm that's, such a boomer. Okay, that's interesting. So people don't follow Morty on, on TikTok. Oh, yeah, I mean, you can look for me. If, I, if, there's, a, if there's a Morty there, it's not me. Go ahead, follow him. What do I care? Okay, okay, that's interesting. Morty, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.